0: Please join Don and Greg as they discuss a newly released book by the Napoleon Hill Foundation entitled The Path to Personal Power on podcast number 642. In their interview together, they discuss the three powerful principles of definiteness of purpose, the mastermind principle, and going the extra mile. These principles are at the foundation of one finding their personal power and living a life of service. Please enjoy podcast number 642 interview with the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, Don Green. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voisin, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Jeff, as I say all the time, I tell my listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening in. Uh, Today we have Jeff Havens on the line. Jeff is an author, a speaker, a trainer, and he has a couple of books, but we're going to be speaking about a book that intrigues the heck out of me. Cause I watched some of his YouTube videos called innovation made simple. And actually the book is very simple. Um, Jeff also is the author of another book called us versus them. Redefining the multi-generational workplace to inspire employees, to love your company, drive innovation and embrace change. That book is up on Amazon. Uh, just type in Jeff's name and you'll have an opportunity to get that. Uh, let me let our listeners know a bit about you, Jeff. Jeff is a speaker, author, and business expert who tackles leadership generational and professional development issues with an exceptional blend of content and entertainment. He is a contributing writer to fast company, entrepreneur business week and the wall street journal, and has been featured on CNBC and Fox business. For more information, uh, if you want to learn more about Jeff, his business, what he does, uh, just go to Jeff Havens, H A V E N S dot com. He's got an awesome website. Uh, you can go up there and uh, watch some of his videos, see his keynotes. If you want to hire him to speak, I highly recommend him. He's funny, he's entertaining. And so this interview is going to be the same, right, Jeff?
1: <laughs> that is exactly right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate you having me, Greg.
0: Hey, no, no pressure. Well, you know what intrigues me about innovation is just the whole process of what people go through to become innovated. And you state that 100% of the incredible things we have today uh, that we, we have in our life, it took a while to get them figured out. And that exactly 0%, you say, happened overnight. Why in your estimation is there such a focus then in today's business world on rapid innovation inside these companies? I heard you speaking to people. uh, I watched your videos uh, and there seems to be this, I don't want to call it demand by the upper management of company, but we see more and more pressure to innovate faster. Um, So give me your take on that one.
1: Well, I think that, I mean, companies want to innovate faster because they want to outpace their competition. That's all fine. Uh, You're always looking to create products, you know, quicker than your rivals. So that all makes sense to me. But the notion that amazing, world-changing, industry-shattering innovations just kind of popped up overnight is sort of a function of the way that we stare at the news because nobody ever reports on you slaving away in your garage by yourself in total obscurity working on a product or working on a new piece of software or an app or whatever it is, you know, and there's this year's worth of development, this behind the scenes stuff that nobody ever sees, and then by the time I'm ready to share it with you in the media, uh, it gets spun for some reason into a, well, look at this thing, I didn't know about it, now I know about it, it's amazing, it happened in four seconds, and it's just not how things operate and uh i think we've sort of just been seduced by the the rapid pace of the news cycle really and it's bled into the way that we sort of anticipate or expect that business is going to operate and it just doesn't and i also think that this expectation is very hurtful it 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 creates unrealistic expectations of how fast things are supposed to go. It puts a lot of pressure on people to come up with amazing ideas immediately. And there's no amazing idea in the world that proved itself to be amazing immediately. Um, and so I want to kind of blow that myth up a little bit and get it back to real.
0: So the, the most important thing as we were talking about is that obviously there seems to be more and more pressure there and you tell all kinds of great stories in your book. And I think that's partly in this very simple little book that anybody could probably read in about 40 minutes, to be honest with you. Right. Um
1: yep. that the goal.
0: There's, there's great stories in here. And you mentioned that all big things started with little things, Delta Airlines, Google, Facebook, just to mention a few. And so what are the three steps that our listeners out there need to know to find out the next big thing? I mean, we, oh, it, we talk about the next big thing, I think it's, it's great, but it starts with this small idea that then gets incubated that goes through all kinds of cycles that I talk about in my book. But let's just talk about what this next big thing is.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's the first step is to remember that everything starts small. You don't know that your idea is going to grow into something that changes the world. And none of the innovators who currently operate world changing things thought that they would do what they're doing you know Steve Jobs never realized what apple was going to turn into bill gates didn't know what microsoft was going to inter- turn into you have you can have dreams but you uh you just don't know what's going to happen and as far as like creating them it's the same process with everything it's this, and that's one of the the key points i try to make in this book it's not just business innovation it's everything that we do it's answering every Question, solving every problem, exploiting every opportunity that we do, both professionally and personally. And very simply, you start by asking a question because there's nowhere to go if you don't have a question to begin with. Uh, the important point there is that the questions that create massive innovations are almost never hyper-technical. Uh, they're questions that anybody could ask. Executing them, that requires you know more technicality and more specificity, but the questions that spawn the innovations are generally within reach of all of us. So you need to start with a question. The second step is to think about how to answer it, and that is deceptively tricky because we've built a world that uh, allows us to distract ourselves all the time. We sort of confuse busy work with productivity, and so it's important to step back occasionally, not Pull out your phone not watch your television and actually just go for a walk sit and think uh, about how to answer whatever your questions are and then the third step is to execute is to do what you thought of so very very simply three words ask think and do that's what innovation is and i can run through literally thousands of examples of companies of personal stories uh, being a parent saving for college anything uh, and they all fall into the same category you figure out what your question is you you think about how to uh, approach it, and then you work on that. And if you're correct, I mean, if your strategy is a good one, then, you know, you keep moving forward, new questions pop up, and then you go from there. And if your strategy is a bad one, you'll figure it out soon enough. And then you just revisit the question, uh, come up with a different you know approach, and then execute that.
0: And I couldn't agree with you more. I think the process of asking questions and continuing to ask questions, uh, i I just frame it a little bit differently. But it's truly the same thing is that you know and in, you intuitively have a hit it doesn't all come at the same time just like you were saying you know this little pieces at a time of the puzzles start to come together but when you do ask the questions of this part of our consciousness whatever people want to make reference to it as it's there the subconscious mind <clears throat> stores all the stuff for years we've got it sitting there uh then there's a real-time hit and frequently we have those aha moments, as you say, when you're doing something relaxing, you're meditating, you're walking in the woods, you're, you're doing something like that, just like you have pictures in your book. So what are some of the strategies for finding and asking the right questions? You have a list of them in the book.
1: Oh, well, the questions are usually uh, so numerous that I think the real trick is to focus on one or two of them. Um, yeah, I have a plenty of them in the book, and and just and these would work for any business. Why are we doing things the way we do them? You know, is there a better way? How do we improve employee engagement? Uh, what's one process that slows me down every day, and what can mm-hmm. I do to improve that? Uh, what's one skill I don't have that I need if I want to move forward in my career? Um, we're bombarded with questions. Very, very rarely uh, is somebody so unwilling to admit that those questions exist. Uh, that that's the problem, that, you know, that's where they're really stopping. It does happen. There are people who think, oh, I don't even want to acknowledge that there are questions that need answering. Uh, But I think more commonly, we have so many of them, uh, and our brain can really only focus on, you know, one, maybe two of them at a time. And so we don't spend any significant amount of time thinking about how to answer any of them. We just have this big mess in our head of five or 10 or 25 questions. And it stays messy if we don't, you know, pick one out, look at it for a little while, and start working on solving it. So I think mm-hmm. the real trick for most people is to uh, focus. Uh, one of the things that Steve Jobs was most proud of—this uh, could be, you know, part of the legend of him—but I've heard it, and and it resonates with me. Uh, when he came back into Apple after he'd been kicked out, and he came back in, one of the things that he uh, bragged about was reducing Apple's product pipeline from 350 to 10. And, you know, he he was just saying, you know, being in, uh, in business, being an innovator, being focused is not about saying yes. It's far more about saying no and learning to focus on what's important and not get distracted by you know other things. And if you think about Apple as a company, they actually don't have very many products, but they do really, really well with the ones that they've got. And I think that we need to do the same thing with the questions that we have. Um, we have a lot of them; they're coming at us all the time. We need to pick a couple and say, right now, this is what I'm going to focus on. And and you'll be surprised, I think, at how quickly you can answer them when when those are the only ones you're looking at.
0: And and so true. I think if you you know I see companies that have so many SKUs of products, and you look at where the bulk of their revenue comes from, and it's the old eighty twenty rule. There's twenty percent of mm-hmm. the revenue coming from eighty percent. Of the products they've developed yet they've got a huge product line um they obviously are spending a lot of money um to just keep all that stuff going um and it, i think it depends on your industry too but you know it is true i mean you look at a company that right now like apple that has just blossomed into um what is it the gmp of the 26th largest country in the in the world uh,
1: yeah they're doing okay
0: yeah they're, they're doing okay is right now <laughs> I, I love this part about sl- uh, slowing down. You say, if you want to speed up the creative process, you need to slow down. And I couldn't concur more. I think that uh, we're out there being distracted by shiny objects all the time. The next little shiny thing, go chase it. Um, we've got cell phones and all these things that are distracting us. And, and our iPads, <laughs> one of the, uh, Apple's inventions. but. What are some of the things that you recommend to your audiences, your coaching clients, your businesses that they needed that they would do to slow down um, and listen? I'm going to say to their intuition to listen deeply inside for that something that's talking to them um, that frequently people will tell me, hey, Greg, the, f- the hardest step in the first process uh, isn't the coming up with the idea. It's removing the fear that I have for moving forward with that idea.
1: I think um, I I agree with you that it's difficult for people to find the time to sit back and think about their ideas. The reason it's difficult is because, you know, we are a collection of habits and all of us have basically trained ourselves into a habit of, you know, when we're bored, when we're idle, you know, pull out a phone, stare at your computer, watch TV, whatever. Uh, Distract yourself. It doesn't have to be a technological thing, but generally it is. And you need to change your habit. It's the same as if you do smoke and you don't want to smoke while well, you are in the habit of smoking, you have to figure out how to change your habit. And I don't mean to sound like it's it's easy. It's just that's what you have to do. There was a, I think this is fascinating. There was a study in England where they gave test subjects an option. You could go into a, like a room, like a white box. There was no stimulus of any kind, nothing to read, nothing to look at, no technology, just you and your thoughts, you and nothing, you know, for like 15 minutes or I could administer you a mild electric shock. And there was, I don't know the percentage, but it was a disturbingly high percentage of people who preferred the shock to sitting alone with their thoughts for 10 or 15 minutes. And I love the idea of that conversation where I'm talking to the test guy. And I'm like, okay, how bad is the shock? Like, am I going to fall down? Am I going to pass out? Or is it just, you know what, never mind. Just shock me. Whatever. I'll be fine. I would much rather that than sitting here alone with myself. And I think it is a huge fear that a lot of people have, but uh, it's a habit that we once had. Uh, You know, you used to go on car trips where you didn't have anything else but your eyeballs on the window to do for 17 hours. And it's a habit we can get back into. So the easiest thing that I recommend for people is to get comfortable slowly with not grabbing, you know, a paper, not checking your email when a ding comes in not responding to a text immediately. Give yourself, I mean, mean, seriously, at first, it's probably like a minute or two minutes. uh, At the end of the night, when you're sitting in bed, uh, don't stare at Facebook until the second that you want to go to sleep. You know, turn your light off and then just sit there for five minutes, staring up at the ceiling with your eyes closed, even if you want to. uh, Just trying to think about the day and maybe what your question is and how you want to answer it. Uh, And then fall Uh, asleep.
0: You know, these are very, very
1: simple things. Yeah, there's very simple things you can do. It just, it does, it scares people. We're... More comfortable being distracted and you know the innovator, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't do it we're all going to distract ourselves and sometimes the best thing for you to do is just you know turn your brain off essentially and not even to just think about stuff but my brain's full I need a distraction I, I want to be entertained that's all great uh, innovators are the people who do that less often than average
0: well I tell people uh, frequently, you know, I, recently, it hasn't been that long ago, I did an interview with a gentleman from San Francisco State University, professor there and, and biologist and neurologist who did this book called The Distracted Mind. And all I would say to my listeners, if you really want to see what the patterns and behaviors we've gotten in as a society, uh, and they put the, the electrodes on your brain and do certain tests, you'll just see how distracted we are as a society. And it's amazing uh, what that's doing. it's actually making us dumber. Uh, So, (laughs) you know, the the point is, is if we want to get smarter, uh, unplug. Um, And you tell some great stories about uh, Brian Rudolph and Phil Krem. And both of them had what you call this three-step process. What are these, what is the three-step process? And what were the products that they were trying to make better because I know frequently innovation is about uh, looking at something that already exists. I mean, look at the evolution of just the cell phone, look at the ele- evolution of many products that we're still using today that we used 10 years ago, but they just continue to improve their performance. They continue to get better at what they do, more features, whatever. Uh, both of these gentlemen, uh, I- I'd like you to tell their stories and the products that they've
1: sure. were- Well, uh, to to talk about the cell phone, I think it's important for people to understand that that is a much better and more common example of innovation than the magic thing that came out of nowhere. Uh, Most innovation involves optimizing something that currently exists. Most of it is not creating something from nothing. So it's important to understand that innovation usually is incremental improvement that over time, like you pointed out with the cell phone create something that really is sort of unrecognizable from its prototype or from, you know, its predecessor. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the case of uh, Brian Rudolph, his uh, question was, how can I uh, handle, how can I create a kind of pasta that people who either don't want to or can't eat pasta can eat? Which, does that sound like a very sexy question? No, but it was one that appealed to him. Uh, I, I don't actually know the reasons that he got into it, but... You know, there's a lot of people for whom pasta is too filling. There's people who have gluten uh, intolerances. And so he was like, "Well, what can I do with this? So he spent 10 months working on recipes, um, and he ultimately came up with one whose primary ingredient is chickpeas, uh, and it has twice the fiber and four times the protein of traditional uh, pasta and is naturally gluten-free. So he found one that works, obviously one that stayed together, because if you've ever tried to make pasta at home, you'll know that a lot of times it just disintegrates when you put it in water, and so he launched it into, called it banza pasta, launched it into two stores in 2015, and by the end of 2016, it was in 1700. Now I say that on stage when I'm giving presentations because it makes it sound like he had this idea that hit and it was amazing, and I don't mean to take away from that, but I, don't, I also don't want to cheat your listeners into thinking that this is a guy who found something and immediately had a wild success with his company. So when I say he went from two stores to 1,700, that sounds like oh my god, it just took off and huge. What really happened is that it was in two stores, and then he managed to get a very, very lovely contract with I think it was Safeway Foods, uh, which put it into hundreds of their stores all at once. So ultimately, what happened is he had one really big sale that uh, you know helped launch his product uh, from this two to 1,700. So that's kind of important as well. It's not necessarily that he. Uh, went one by one, store by store, and grew in 1700 in a single year. Um, he had one good sale, and that's how a lot of companies grow too. You uh, go from uh, nothing to one big sale, and that big sale helps build your momentum and go somewhere else.
0: But I think the um, so- the core to the story, though, Jeff, is that you know Brian uh, took a standard product that's been around for you know hundreds of years, pasta, right. and and just it attempted to improve on it, or for health purposes saw there was a demand for gluten-free and and a, and a better pasta and he just wanted to find something that would bind but he continued to work in the kitchen to make it better and then make it so that it you know people could boil it and it would stay together and i think the point was is you know you see lots of things like that right
1: oh yeah i mean fill
0: creme on the mattress
1: yeah and i think it's nice to point out with with brian rudolph that it's effectively a niche product, but being a niche product doesn't mean you can't have a giant company. You know, I mean, if you look at the, the late-night hosts, for example, they only reach about 1% of the population of the U.S. any given night, uh, but they're wildly successful. So when you're looking at innovations, you don't necessarily have to find something that appeals to everybody because uh, there's a lot of small markets that are still millions of people large. Uh, in Philip, in Philip Crim's case, he was trying to answer a question that I am glad that he tried to answer, which is how do you make mattress shopping not awful? Because uh, if you've ever gone mattress shopping, then you know you kind of flop down on the bed, salesperson stares at you, that's sort of awkward. You still have your shoes on, you know, nothing approximating the average uh, sleeping experience. And his innovation, which I think is pretty impressive, was to literally think inside the box. He put together Casper, which some of your listeners I'm sure are familiar with, some of them sleep on their mattresses. It's a foam mattress that arrives to you in a cardboard box in a vacuum sealed package. And then you open the package and it it inflates itself uh, in about two minutes. I've seen some videos of them like live inflating. And and that company, I think, crossed $75 million in sales uh, in its second or third year. And I think his story to me is an interesting one because I am positive that when he told people, okay, I'm going to solve this unfortunate mattress shopping problem by mailing people a foam mattress in a cardboard box, I am positive that somebody (laughs) said to him, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. You're going to mail mattresses. Good luck, buddy. (laughs) And it's worked, you know, so you're going to have, you're going to have naysayers, um, you know, ignore them. and now now you see that
0: same you see that same foam mattress i don't know if it's a knockoff but you can go to any costco and you're going to see that that foam mattress out there i don't know if it's his per se but the reality is you know in the olden days when we bought the box springs and the mattresses we used to have to have guys deliver them um and set them up now you basically take it home yourself open up the box and because the foam has been kind of shrunk down it expands on its own i know because i have one uh, and they're oh, great. There you go. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. They're they're awesome. They're awesome. You know, can you speak with the listeners about some of the strategies for improving creativity and innovation? Um, I think we we've, we've spoken a lot about the innovation process and the steps and so on. But there's people out there that I guarantee you uh, are listening to this, and they're, they're a lot of times they get stuck. Right. It's like okay. Yeah. I'm going through a dry spell, Jeff. I heard your, when you were doing your video that were people in the audience and you were inspiring them to, you know, really dig deep, you know, um, and the people are going, well, I don't have a creative bone in my body, but everybody does. So what do you, what do you actually do to help people get inspired again, to find that side of themselves?
1: The, the big thing I do when I'm giving presentations and I try to drive this point home in the books as well is that the processes that we do in business, the mental processes that we do at work every day, are not fundamentally different from the mental processes that we do at home. And a lot of the conversation about innovation, uh, part of the reason I put this keynote together and this book, uh, it frustrates me to see people saying, you need to change the way that you think. If you want to be innovative, you need to think in a completely new way. And I massively 100% disagree with that because uh, innovation would include answering a question such as how are we going to save for retirement and everybody tries to answer that question for themselves and throughout the process of your working life you revisit that question periodically and you you know you tweak your strategy sometimes you make budget cuts sometimes you look for side jobs sometimes you switch careers That is innovative, Um, it's personally innovative, and again, it's not sexy, but most innovation isn't. But that is the process that we have to go through in business as well. So in this case, and the retirement one's a good example, I think, because everyone's thought about it. You have your question, and you know your question, and you revisit your question periodically. Not every day, or you'll drive yourself nuts, but periodically, and you say, am I going where I need to go? Is Is this on track? And if you feel like it is, then great, you leave it alone. If you feel like it's not, then you think about it for a while and you think up a strategy. People are creative at home in those ways all the time. You know, how are we going to save up enough for college? Should I, should I move to take this new job, etc.? These happen all the time at home. And it's the same process in business. So I think the first thing to hopefully help people understand is the stuff you're doing in your personal life translates perfectly to the way that you should be thinking in business figure out what your questions are, make sure that you don't forget what they are, look at them periodically, talk with others about them, sit back and think a little bit about how to answer them. And magically, you'll find that the answers come. They might not come, you know, with five minutes. There's plenty of times that I'm staring at my computer, for example, trying to think about uh, what, what am I, how am I going to write this article, for example, and nothing comes to me for a while, so I go get up and do something else. And then I sit back down five hours later and say, "Oh, look at that! It works." Or I know what I need to do. Uh, so I'm not saying that you're going to find an answer in five minutes. What I'm saying is the processes that we use at home are the exact same processes that are going to work, you know, in your in your professional life as well.
0: Well, I think what you've done for people with this book, Innovation Made Simple, is also you've made the book very simple too. I think what it is is it's just, it's kind of a kick in the pants kind of book, right? It's like, okay, look, guys. Yeah. You don't really have to change a lot. What you do is you just have to become aware and the, the greater exactly. you become aware of what's going on, you're going to have the ability to actually take those dives in and create something new. Like you said, like saving for retirement. Most people would say, well, that's not very innovative, but it it is really innovative if your back's up against the wall and you figure out a way to do it. Right. You're saying, Hey, I can uh, cut this out of my budget or I can cut that out of my budget or I can do this. So, it, everything we do, we're creating a solution for, and we're looking for solutions. And those solutions are usually those innovative ways in which we're thinking to do things. Um, for my listeners, we've been on today with Jeff Havens, and Jeff is the author of a book called Innovation Made Simple. Now, Jeff, um, I know that this book isn't on Amazon, so if these listeners want to get this book, um, it, what do they do? They have to hire you to do a speech, or do well, you well, just...
1: I mean that that would be my preferred way. Yes, that okay. would be great. But no, <laughs> if, <laughs> if if somebody's if somebody's looking for a book, just uh, have them email me, uh, Jeff okay. at Okay, that would be great. Yeah, and um, I think for
0: everybody out there, you know, I think this is one of Jeff's. Um, it, it's one of his books. It's his. It's it's his giveaway. It's a calling card. Uh, but I think more importantly, if you if you want to get a book through mass distribution. Uh, He's got another book out there called Us Versus Them. And I mentioned it is on Amazon. We'll put a link to that book on Amazon as well. Uh, But this little book that he's got here, truly for those of you out there that are saying, hey, I'm stuck or I'd like to get inspired again about innovating. I'd like to know more about it. It's a really quick read. It's a great opportunity for you to get engaged. And then if you want to know more, go to Jeff's website, it's Uh, You can see some of his keynotes, you can look him up on YouTube obviously at his channel, see some more of the videos. If you wanna hire Jeff to do uh, a speaking engagement for you as well, he's got a great blog. Um, so you can go to the blog there as well. Jeff, is there anything you wanna leave the listeners with uh, today before we uh, depart?
1: Yeah, I just want to make sure everybody knows that this stuff is not as hard as it's generally uh, made out to be. It is something that all of us have done in hundreds of ways throughout all of our lives from childhood on up. Um, the innovation is the process of answering questions. That is all it is, and we have been asking and answering questions our entire lives. So. There's no barrier to being able to do this. Uh, A lot of your innovative solutions are not going to look sexy. A lot of them are not going to get any media attention and that is fine because some of the most important innovations in the world, for example, the toilet, that got no media attention when somebody invented it, Uh, super useful. Uh, There's probably two or three billion of us who are alive today who wouldn't be without that innovation. Uh, but it definitely wasn't sexy. So don't worry if your innovation is not uh, something that makes the front page of, you know, pick your favorite publication. It's okay. Most of them don't.
0: Agreed. Agreed. There's so many that don't get talked about that uh, that we don't know about. But the ones that seem to get talked about are the ones that really hit the media uh, in a big way. So, and it's a lot of it's technology stuff. But there's some little things that we use on an everyday basis that don't get much, uh, Uh, get much publicity. Well, thanks, Jeff, for being on Inside Personal Growth and speaking with our audience today uh, about your new book called Innovation Made Simple. Uh, Go to Jeff's website, everybody. He's great. Watch some of his videos and hire him to do a speech for your organization. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Thank you very much.